The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Please open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 for our scripture reading. This is a psalm that is well known to most of us, I'm sure. Psalm 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That is our duty, our worship, and our service. Let us pray. Our great Lord and Heavenly Father, as we have just read, we confess that you made all things, and you uphold them by the word of your power. The nations are as nothing to you. You are unchangeable, incorruptible, good, and righteous. You are God over all. And in light of that, Lord, who are we? You have made us. You watch over us. You sustain us. And you give us all good things. We are totally dependent upon you. And for that reason, Lord, we bless you forever. Let us never forget how you have forgiven our sins, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, and work in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure every day. Our Lord, for these reasons, may you give us the strength today to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Help us to submit ourselves to you and to your word in the scriptures. May we follow your leading, mortify our remaining sin, and serve you here by living in peace with each other and by rendering to each other that debt of love which comes from you. Our Father, we lift up today, those of us in our congregation who are struggling, those who are struggling with ongoing illness, and we pray that you would be their healer. We pray for those who struggle with loneliness, and we pray that you would be their companion 
and their support and send them the help that they need. We pray for those who are struggling with relationships, in families, in communities, and elsewhere. We pray for those who work each day in the working world in various capacities, that you would enable them to be salt in the earth and light in their portion of the world. And in all things, Father, we ask that your light would shine through us because our Lord Jesus is the light of the world. Now, Father, give strength to Pastor Greg as he brings the word of God to us and open our hearts and minds that we might receive and be changed and renewed by your Spirit in the inner man. And we ask it for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to return back to Hebrews chapter 2, excuse me, verses 1 through 4 that we looked at last week. We really captured the heart of the text last week and uh, its main thrust, but there is a uh, sort of a secondary thrust that I want us to capture this morning. The writer of Hebrews writes, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed, According to his will. That's the word of the Lord. And it's for us today. Back in the year 1985, there was a problem that was evident within the Central Intelligence Agency here in the United States. And the problem became very evident on a number of fronts. The primary front was they had realized that a number of informants on the nation of Russia were starting to show up dead. These are Russians who had uh, had that sort of flip sides and become informants on the, the nation and its military capacities, its military planning, and so forth. And also some American uh, undercover agents, a number of them, many of them, were disappearing. People who were deeply undercover, people who, whose identities were known to really almost no one. And the CIA, by the time we get to 1985, was in a a pretty strong panic trying to ascertain what was going on within the organization. There was a compromise somewhere, but where was the compromise? Had communications been compromised? Was there some way in which the enemies had been able to infiltrate our communication sources and been able to intercept things that were leading them to find out who undercover agents were. 
And so around 1985, a team was put together, really early 1986, a small team was put together to try to investigate and find out what was going on, what was the problem, where was the compromise. It took a number of years for the team to piece together little bits of information, trying to figure out what the problem was. And within a couple of years, they started to narrow down their focus to the reality that there was somebody on the inside of the organization, very deeply on the inside of the organization, who had access to very sensitive information that was passing it along to the enemy. And so they began to sort through the evidence. They began to look through who might have access to such secretive information. Who might, might have motive to pass that along. And as the events began to unfold, their sights turned toward a CIA agent by the name of Rick. Rick had begun in the CIA all the way back in 1962 as a, a simple clerk. He'd eventually uh, worked his way up in the organization until he had arrived at the level of case officer. And then eventually he got to the place where he was really the, the leading uh, expert on what the Russians were doing and what they were thinking and what they were planning. It turns out, as the information began to sort of unfold, that the investigative team began to see some trends. Well, when Rick would be sent somewhere to have a meeting with someone related to Russia, all of a sudden, within a couple of days, deposits would show up in his bank account. $2,000 here, $5,000 there, in one case, $50,000 When all of the twine began to untwirl and all of the pieces fit together in the puzzle, it was really a pretty devastating story. Somebody deeply embedded within the organization who had been entrusted with very sensitive information had given over a treasure trove of secret intelligence to a foreign state. He had profited to the tune of millions of dollars doing this over a significant period of time. It wasn't until 1994 that Rick, his full name Aldrich Ames, was arrested for espionage. Maybe if you were around in 1994 and paying attention, you heard the story. It's a sad story, really, of a desperate person who got disgruntled with his job and his superiors, and who for the love of money sold himself out. But the story does remind us that we live in a world where there are people who live in the truth and we live in a world where there are people who live in falsehood. We live in a world where there are people who are upfront and honest about who they are and who speak truth and there is within our world people who are dishonest and fraudulent who tell lies, who try to convince people that they are something that they are not.
And when we come to the things of the Lord and we come to the words of God, you remember in Hebrews chapter 1 when we very, the very first thing that we saw out of the shoot that the writer of Hebrews wanted to establish for us is that God is a speaking God who speaks to his people. And when God speaks, he speaks truth. Well, as long as God has been speaking truth to his people, there have been people who presume to speak for him who don't speak for him who pretend to speak his truth and his message and his gospel, but in reality speak a different gospel, a different message, lies. And as long as the true gospel has been going out from the Lord in various ways, false gospels, false truths, false messages have been going on right along with it. And God has always taken seriously this matter. He's always taken seriously this matter that when someone speaks and presumes to speak for him, that they best be telling the truth and accurately reflecting what he said. To say God has said something when he really hasn't said it is a pretty dreadful and terrifying thing. If you look back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, you see what God's law had laid down for those who spoke in the name of God but did not speak his words. But the prophet, we're told in Deuteronomy 18, who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. God took it, it was deadly serious to say that you were speaking God's message when you were not, in fact. It was a sin worthy of death. And yet, as long as God has been speaking, there have been always a wash of people who have been claiming to speak for Him, but have been giving a different message, a false gospel, a false truth. It's true in the Old Testament, they were false prophets. When we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we see uh, sort of clear evidence that in the New Testament nothing had changed. We get to verse 13, it says, For such men are false prophets, they're deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So what is, what is Satan's strategy in the world, at least one of them, is to disguise himself as an angel of light, to, to propagate a false message, to propagate, in fact, a whole bunch of false messages, but to do them in such a way that they're presented as God's truth, as coming from God, not from him. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes to the Galatian church, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And Paul writes this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that has been preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul says, listen, you've heard the truth. And if anyone comes and gives you a different story and tells you that it's God's truth, even if it's me or an angel, let them be accursed. Because there's only one gospel. And God has had one consistent message. And there's an enemy who disguises himself as an angel of light who's constantly trying to undermine the message of the gospel. Who's constantly trying to undermine and muddy what God has said. We see it in the Garden of Eden, don't we? Adam and Eve. 
And the first encounter man has, it seems, with this enemy who disguises himself as an angel of light. He slithers his way around and he says to Adam and Eve, one of the very first things, Has God really said? And then he goes on in that conversation to twist and contort what God had really said. Propagating a different message. And he's done that consistently throughout time. So the question has, has, has been, and, and remains to be, how is it that somebody knows when the message being delivered, the message that they're hearing, is the true message? It's the message from God. It's what God has really said. Well, today we have a means for knowing that. We have the Scriptures. We have the Bible. We have God's Word in front of us. And if we want to know what God has said, and if somebody is telling us God has said something, we have an easy measuring rod by which we can measure that message. We listen to what they've said, and we compare it to what we know God has said in His Word. And if it lines up, then we can affirm it. If it runs contrary to it, then we can label it a lie and a false truth, something that is not what God has actually said. And so God's Word becomes for us a measuring rod. But what about before the Word was complete? What about before there was a completed canon? How would you know? How would you tell if the preacher was preaching a message from God? Well, here in the message that we have for us this morning, uh, the, the, the author of Hebrews sort of lays this out for us. He, he tells us uh, uh, about the message that is being delivered to them. And he establishes for them why they can believe it. Why it's worth giving up everything for. Why they can run the risk of losing everything for this gospel and for this message. And why it's worth giving up everything that they have for. Why it's worth even giving their lives for. He wants to establish for them why the gospel is a message that is life to them. And everything else is, is, is a, a sort of disposable, but they can never leave the gospel. They can never depart from the gospel. They can never neglect the gospel, or it will be devastating to their soul. And he tells us, he tells them, and by virtue of telling them, tells us, that we can know the gospel is true. And he tells us three ways. He tells us it was declared by the Lord, it was attested by the apostles, and God validated Himself. And that's what he wants to talk to us about this morning at the end of this passage. The first thing he tells us about the gospel message that they've heard, this message of a great salvation, this message that has come from God Himself and been delivered to them, the message, and let me just pause here and say, uh, when you hear the word the gospel, I want you to pause for a moment and just think about what, do, what does that mean to you? What, what, if I were to ask you right now, take out a piece of paper define the word the gospel. What would that mean? How would you define that? Well, it's, literally it means good news. That's right. And it is good news. I ask you this question because nowadays it seems culturally within the sort of the Christian broader Christian culture, to take the term the gospel and to define it to mean all sorts of things. Historically and precisely, the gospel is the good news of salvation. It is the message of what God has done in and through sending His Son to die on a cross and shed His blood for the sins of man to redeem His people to Himself. It's the message of Jesus that Christ has come. 
that men are sinners who have rebelled against their Creator. That God made us and we've run from Him. We've rebelled against Him. We've sinned against Him. And we have no hope. And He owes us absolutely nothing except for eternal damnation. That's the only thing that He owes us. And He would be perfectly just in giving that to every single one of us. But God has loved us so much that He has sent His only begotten Son, the second person of the Trinity, to, to be born into human flesh, to live among men. God coming near, living a life of perfect righteousness, and laying down His own life on a cross, shedding His blood, paying the death penalty for the sins of His people, being buried, being raised on the third day, and ascended back to the Father from where He came. And He now holds out the offer to anyone who will hear the message and believe the truth of what He's done. And trust His sacrifice on the cross to pay their debt of sin. Turning away from their life of sinful rebellion and entrusting their life to Him, they will be saved, redeemed, forgiven, reconciled to their Creator, accepted into His family, and secured forever to be with Him. That is the message of the Gospel. That is the message that God has been speaking forever. That there is a way for men to be reconciled to their God. And that God has made that way. And that Jesus has accomplished that way. So don't be confused when people run around saying social justice is the gospel and this is the gospel and racial reconciliation is the gospel and all of these other things are the gospel. It is not the gospel. They're important matters. They're important matters that... that that the gospel should reflect upon, but they are not the gospel. The gospel is the message of redemption and reconciliation bought by the blood of Jesus. And that message, we're told here, was declared at first by the Lord. It's that message that the writer of Hebrews is insisting that his listeners at this church, that they, that they cling to, that they hold on to, that they refuse to allow themselves to drift away from, that they absolutely do not neglect or compromise. And he says, you have to hold on to this thing. It's precious to your life, and you need to understand it's worth it because it was declared first by the Lord. Jesus Christ was really the first gospel preacher. He was the first gospel preacher. His preaching now was on the front side of the cross. You understand what I mean by that? His preaching happened before the cross actually happened. So the way he's going to describe the gospel is going to sound a little different than the way Paul and the other apostles describe it on the back side of the cross where they're reflecting on something that has already been accomplished. But the message is the same. Jesus fully understood who He was. He fully understood what He had come to do. And even as He was living His life and acting out the Gospel, He was declaring the Gospel too. He was declaring the message. All the elements of the Gospel that we read in the letters of the New Testament, we find in the preaching and teaching of Jesus. It's important to know because there's great theological debate and there are some who would like to argue these days that Jesus preached a different gospel than Paul. That Jesus preached a different gospel than the apostles. That his gospel was a gospel of the kingdom that had something to do with things other than the redemption purchased by his blood on the cross. 
And that's not true. Jesus preached the same gospel Paul preached. Yes, he uses different language. Yes, he describes it in different ways. But some of that, perhaps most of that, has to do with the fact that he's preaching on the front side of the cross and Paul's preaching on the back side of it. But the very, the very gospel that he's declaring, he's acting. He's living perfect righteousness in front of them. He's speaking the truth from heaven directly to them. He submits to his arrest even though he was innocent. He does not defend himself on trial, but he lays down his life. He allows himself to be brutalized by the very men whom he created. He lays down his life, submits to crucifixion on a Roman cross for our sins. He rises on the third day and he ascends to the Father where he stands or sits at the right hand awaiting his return. He's living out the very thing that he's preaching. So Christ both declared the gospel and he was the gospel. He came to die for our sins. He came to act out the gospel in living color. And he understood this. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came, do you know the rest of this? To seek and to save that which was lost. He understood his mission was to come and to seek those who rebelled against him, to seek out his people and to save them, to secure their salvation. He didn't come just for some sort of a general kingdom purpose. He came to save people by giving His life on a cross. So how did He declare that message, though? How did Jesus declare that message at first, like the writer of Hebrews tells us? Well, in Mark chapter 1, we look to the Gospel of Mark, verse 14. It tells us this, Mark writes, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the Gospel of God saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What was Jesus preaching? Well, he was preaching the gospel of God. And a part of this gospel of God that he was preaching was a a call for people to respond to it by doing what? By repenting and believing. By believing what he had to say, believing the message, and simply turning from their sin and toward Him. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went out through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. What was it that Jesus was preaching here? The gospel of the kingdom. Well, what's the gospel of the kingdom? It's important for us to understand that so that we know what He's preaching. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 you flip all the way back in your Old Testament to Daniel chapter 2, here's what we find via prophecy through the mouth of Daniel. And in the days of those kings, this is a day in the future, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall do what? Stand Forever. It's a kingdom that will stand forever. Way back in Daniel's day, he saw, via the Spirit of God, a day coming when the Lord was going to set up a kingdom. And it was going to be a kingdom that was superior to every kingdom. And this kingdom that was superior to every other kingdom is a kingdom that will never end. It will stand forever. 
It's a kingdom that will never be overrun. It is a kingdom that will never be overthrown. It is an eternal kingdom. And so that was the prophecy in the background. And Jesus comes along, and in His preaching, He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And He's saying on a regular basis things like He said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where it says that Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And on and on in Jesus' preaching, we see the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or, the kingdom of heaven is upon you, He will say. Or, the kingdom of heaven is near, He would say. Near to you. What is He talking about? Well, He's talking about the kingdom that Daniel prophesied. The Lord's kingdom that was coming, that was going to be set up. And He's saying that, I am the king who has come to set up the kingdom. I'm here. I'm here. The kingdom is upon you because the king is in front of you.